The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, and I have with me today uh, Tiffany Gallagher, well known as Tipper, and more popularly known as the Boob Geek. Tipper, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I would like to tell everyone that the reason that I asked Tipper onto the show is that Tipper has an interesting website called the Boob Geek, or excuse me, that's just boobgeek.com. And Tipper writes about some very interesting things. As I was looking through her uh, website, I noticed several things where she talked about what mothers want to hear, what they need to hear, some things that mothers don't hear and don't want to hear, and much, much more. Now, I want to warn you, if you're looking for somebody who is vanilla or somebody who is middle of the road, Tipper is not your woman, okay? Tipper has some very interesting opinions on a number of things as related to breastfeeding and parenting. Uh, Tipper, did I overdo it for you, or do you think that's about like you? I think that's pretty good, although I, I think I would describe myself as kind of a middle-of-the-road person. I don't, I, I don't feel like I go to extremes that much, but I try that's to kind true. of... Well, I didn't find anything on your website that I would disagree with, so I guess that makes you not too far out there, but I definitely think that you have some opinions that are not necessarily some of the mainstream kinds of things that I hear from a lot of people. One of the things that caught my eye was that you said, you know, we need to help mothers to whine a little bit more, and um I, I kind of took a step back when I read that, and I thought, wow, you know, a bunch of us don't want to hear any whining at all. And here is Tipper really inviting us to help women to whine a little bit more. Why do you think it's important for mothers to have an opportunity to whine a little bit more? Well, part of it is just because in this age of social media, we like to um, whitewash what we're experiencing a little bit and try to put on a good face for the world. And I think partly that um, it can be nice to not be negative, but it can also mean you're not expressing your real feelings, which right. can, you know, if you're keeping things inside, that's not good for anybody. And it also helps to normalize the experience of parenting and breastfeeding. How it's not always rainbows and moonbeams and unicorns. Right. And 
um, that there are real struggles we all face. Yes. Well, I think too, Tipper, at least for me, coming from the standpoint of being a nurse, a lot of times people tell me, no, nothing's wrong. Yes, they're fine. And everything in their nonverbal language is telling me, no, they're not. They're not fine. They do hurt. They're having a problem. They're worried. They're whatever. And so I find it much It's much easier for me to do my job, actually, when people tell me exactly what's wrong and exactly what's on their mind. Uh, Do you think that people feel a little bad to whine? Do you think they, uh, mothers especially, do you think they feel like they've just got to always have it together and so they can't express uh, some difficulties? Oh, absolutely. I think part of it is that we have this idea that if you're a mom, you you have to always love being a mom. You have to always <laughs> love your children. You have to always um, think it's all great. And when we don't, we internalize it and we think, wait a second, I'm supposed to feel that it's wonderful all the time and I don't? What's wrong with me? Oh. And I think it does take a level of strength to reach out and say to other people, I'm hurting and I need help. I just need you yes. to listen to me or I, I need actual practical help and I think we need to get to a place where we're able to more comfortably reach out to other people because not only do we need help ourselves but other people find find it fulfilling to help others yes yes uh so if I'm the nurse what can I do or or maybe I'm not the nurse maybe I'm just the next door lady that's you know, the elderly grandmother or whatever, um, how do I really help people to be able to uh, express their feelings without feeling like they're being negative or being whiny? Well, sometimes in terms of just what other people can do to help is to just help. Like, um, I gave birth to twins, and um, it was hard for me. In the first year, the entire blur, my neighbor came over from time to time. And she says, I'm buying you dinner. Uh, so she just, you know, she went to McDonald's. She bought all of my kids dinner. And that was, it was the gesture of it and her reaching out was more important than anything else she could have actually done at that moment. And wow. I think part of it is just um, not necessarily giving someone the option to decline help because I think a lot of us are like, oh no, I'm okay. I can deal with it. But if you don't give them the option to decline your help, they will take it. I love that. That is wonderful advice, and I need to take that home with myself uh, because sometimes I think I do kind of say, oh, well, would you like me to do this or would you like me to do that? And people say, oh, no, that's okay. And I, I like what you're saying about how just don't give them the option to turn it down. Just, you know, be there. And also that you spoke a little bit more about doing an activity as opposed to just mouthing the words. And, and uh, boy, I give you a lot of credit for really having that insight, Tipper. So tell me, speaking of insights, um, I'm interested that you have twins. I didn't realize that. But somewhere along the line, you must have said, oh, I'm pregnant. Uh, I'll need a doctor for my baby after the baby or the babies are born. Uh, how did you go about finding a pediatrician, and when did you go about it? Well, I'm not a very good example. I, I should. <laughs> I, when I had my first, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to just 
pick a clinic and go there. I didn't put much thought into it at all. I was, I was lucky because the family practice doctors we saw were very good about breastfeeding okay. and um, did not suggest anything that, in retrospect now, knowing anything about breastfeeding was outside of what they should have suggested. Um, I did a little e-interview with a local doctor who's also an IBCLC, and I asked her um, what she would have people ask um, their doctors when they're interviewing them. And she came up with a whole list of things we can go to pediatricians or family practice doctors about to kind of gauge their understanding of breastfeeding and their approach to breastfeeding. Tipper, one of the things that you just mentioned, you gave a huge plug for family practice doctors. I can most certainly tell you that somebody that was extremely influential in my own life when I first got into sort of being interested in breastfeeding was a family practice doctor. And uh, yet I've heard other people say, oh, well, what do you mean? Wouldn't you bring your kid to a pediatrician? You know, wouldn't you want somebody who was really uh, specializing in children? And Kind of my answer is, uh, no, not so much so. Was there a reason why you felt strongly about being with your family practice doctor? Well, I wanted to see someone myself um, as well as having someone see the kids. I thought it would be easier yeah. to just go one place and have uh, it would it'd be easier to establish a relationship with that doctor yes. if I got to see them as well. And I thought I had this in my mind. Well, if the whole family is sick, I would rather just drag us all in to see one person and have it all done with rather than going to different clinics for different appointments. Well, I am totally on board with that. And and might I add that a, a certified nurse midwife is another one who can give that continuity of care and be able to take care of your baby as well as you. I think that one of the things that's really important for me, at least, is that the mother and the baby are a unit. And when you are working with one doctor, that helps the doctor to view the unit rather than oh, this is what's going on with the mother and not have any idea about the baby or, or vice versa. Would you agree? That's a really good point. Um, um, I'm studying to be a lactation consultant myself and, and noticing in clinicals when we're talking to moms about if, if their baby or the mom may have thrush, we have to say, yeah. well, you go to That's your baby's doctor for this prescription and then you have to go to your doctor for yep. this prescription. It's a lot of running around. No, and sometimes then the other doctor says, oh, no, I don't see it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so yeah. then you don't get both parties treated, and that's a huge problem. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of family practice docs. Um, tell me a little bit about how you said some mothers don't fall in love with their babies right away. Uh, what do you mean by that? And and what do you think is important to communicate to other women about that? Well, I think... Um you know, one of the gifts my mother-in-law gave me was just telling me when I was pregnant that, you know, you might not fall in love with your baby right away. And it's fine. I mean, I think especially when we're having a complicated birth or complicated pregnancy or there's just, there's so much happening in that moment yes. of going into labor, giving birth, having this baby plopped on your chest, that having to add the pressure of falling in love at the same time 
is really too much and you might not feel it. And then I don't, I wouldn't want anyone to not feel it and then feel bad that they don't feel it immediately. And, you know, for some people it's, they can't just feel this hormonal rush and feel love. It's more like they have to see what this person is becoming. And then it becomes more of like a, a long-term falling in love sort of thing. Yes. Uh, Tipper, I think this is hugely important. And you brought out such a good point about how the mother shouldn't have to feel guilty. One of the things that I frequently will tell people is, well, did you fall in love with your husband in the first 15 minutes? Did you fall in love with your husband in the first 15 days, in the first 15 weeks? You know, I mean, we we fall in love with, with grown-ups over a period of time. It's like sometimes there's this big hormonal rush and you feel head over heels, but other times you don't. And I think it's entirely unrealistic for us to think, that we're going to instantly be in love with anybody, uh, adult, baby, or uh, in between. So I think it's a really great point to make, and definitely uh, nobody should feel guilty if they're if they're not a speed demon with the love thing. Well, right. and, uh, well, but, there's also the thing that um, what you feel at first might not feel like what you would think is love. So yeah. <laughs> maybe you'll feel this you know, wave of wanting to protect this child or, you know, feeling possessive of them. And um, you might not feel the same thing as what you think love is, but it's still what other people are describing as love. So it's complicated. I I totally agree. It does not, sometimes your definition is a little off base, so to speak. Well, Tipper, uh, so fun to talk with you. Now, listen, everybody, when we come back, I'm going to ask Tipper to talk to us about what mothers don't hear and what they don't want to hear. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash donor. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. New Angel manufactures environmentally friendly and hypoallergenic cotton products for breastfeeding mothers and their new angels. Feel the difference. Soft, absorbent, and breathable. Patented, patent-pending, and award-winning products designed by a certified lactation consultant. Look for New Angel biodegradable, disposable, and cotton-washable nursing pads, natural cotton products, and other unique items. Made by mothers for mothers in the USA. 
by N-U-A-N-G-E-L for your new angel at www.newangel.com and www.amazon.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Thank you so much for joining me on Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with Tipper Gallagher, Tipper Gallagher, otherwise known as the Boob Geek. And before we move on, I would just like to invite everyone to remember to visit our friends at New Angel. That's N-U-A-N-G-E-L dot com, newangel.com, woman-owned business for women and for babies, mothers, and others. Plenty of good stuff there to take a look at. Tipper, before we came to the second segment, we were talking a little bit about how to find, uh, how to interview a pediatrician, a little bit about helping mothers to express themselves and to talk a little bit about the speed with which some people people fall in love with their babies. But I want to move on to one of the things that you said in your blog, which is parenting is hard. And you said you don't have any hesitation to tell mothers or parents that it's not just a breastfeeding thing. It's a parenting thing. And parenting isn't always easy. Uh, Do you think that sometimes mothers or fathers, for that matter, might blame breastfeeding as being hard when it's really parenting that's hard? I, I wouldn't put that on mothers and fathers. I would probably put it on everybody else. Um, <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I mean, our friends, our family, um, you know, what we hear in the media, society in general. I think we have, we have a culture that does not understand breastfeeding, that doesn't understand what normal newborns are like because we're so used to imposing our schedules upon them and um, trying to fit them into our lives instead of the other way around. And so I think that where most of that comes from, that um, everyone is really quick to blame breastfeeding because that's the strange thing that we don't understand. And um, everyone else bottle fed, so that must be okay. Yeah, you know, sometimes, and I see this accentuated in babies that have some sort of difficulty. It certainly can happen with any baby, but with a baby especially that has a difficulty, sometimes what I see is the parent wants to bail out and say, oh, breastfeeding isn't going well. I'm just going to formula feed. And sometimes I kind of have to help them to understand that that baby has a difficulty with reflexes or that baby has a difficulty with feeding specifically or whatever it is. But going to formula feeding or going to breastfeeding is not going to solve the problem. Um, Have you seen those kinds of things? And do you have any words of wisdom for that mother who thinks, oh, well, you know, formula feeding is going to be easier. It, It kind of really isn't. You've got any thoughts on that? 
Well, I think primarily I, I, I think mothers and, you know, fathers and parents in general should think about how stopping breastfeeding is not just going to affect them now, but it's going to affect them in a year or longer. I see breastfeeding as more than just something that affects us in the immediate term. Yes. Yes. Um, we share our breastfeeding stories our entire lives. It's like we share our birth stories for yes. forever. Mm-hmm. And um, it's something that obviously matters because we talk about it a lot. <laughs> so I think people should take a pause. And as some people say, don't quit on your worst day. Um, give it another day. See how you feel tomorrow. And think about how you might feel in a year. Will you feel regret that you stopped? Um, or will you feel pride that you kept going through a hard spot? And, you know, sometimes it's a matter of um, just finding the right kind of support, the right professionals to talk to in order to get a really good understanding of what's going on and how you can overcome your challenges. And sometimes just getting a new morning. Yes. Getting a little um, bit of sleep yeah, <laughs> might help. Yeah, absolutely. I, I loved what you said about don't quit on your worst day. Because honestly, all of us have had worst days with breastfeeding or college or, you know, anything else. It's like if you quit on your worst day, good grief, we uh, all of us would have a lot of regrets. One of the things that I sometimes will do is I will contract with the mother and say to her, give me your word that you won't quit until, you know, Monday or, or whatever whatever seems realistic, you know, a few days away, and that you will give me your word that you will call me if you feel like you're going to quit and we at least have the opportunity to talk it through. Because usually I find that if people can just get beyond the day that they're on, which is kind of what you're saying, you know, don't quit on your worst day. I I think that's just fabulous advice. And I've never really thought of it quite that way. I've usually thought of it in terms of a different day, but it's, it's kind of the same, same kind of a thing. So Tipper, really, that brings me to another important point, which is, I agree with you, that I think the breastfeeding experience is certainly more than just a one-shot deal. It's more than one day. It's, at least for my mother, I've probably said this before on the show, but my mother could work breastfeeding into any conversation with any young woman until she was almost 90. I mean, she <laughs> her, her breastfeeding experience was... I think probably a major life changer for her. But in any event, um, what do you, what do you do about the parents who uh, you, you said there's a lot of things that parents don't know about formula? I agree with that, but I also see on your blog that you don't want to do what I would call spook parents. You don't want to make them think that their baby's going to die if they have a sip of formula. Can you talk to us a little bit about how do we help parents to, um, what do you, what do you say to the parent to help them to realize that formula does have risks, but if the baby has some, it's not the end of the world. Well, uh, you know, a few things. I think it's unrealistic to talk about how you know, terrible formula can be when so many families end up using it at some point. Yes. Um, and we can see with our very own eyes that 
um, because most of the people around us are bottle feeding, that formula obviously isn't poison. Um, but not <laughs> at the same time, I don't know any lactation professionals who would say that. So, um, you know, we don't go alone talking about how terrible formula is all the time. So um, I think um, it's important to just not demonize it and um, to, you know, just share with parents how they, if they choose to use formula, how to do it safely. It's part of the baby-friendly hospital initiative that it's not just about breastfeeding, but if a, if a family is not breastfeeding, teaching them how to use formula safely. Sure. Sure. If there were three top things that you think parents do need to know about formula, what might they be? Uh, well, I think one main one is that there are right and wrong ways to prepare formula. Yep. For example, every single formula max, manuf- manufacturer might use a different size scoop with their container. So you uh-huh. have to use the scoop that came with the container. Um that you can introduce contaminants to your container and formula if you're setting the scoop on, you know, counter where you um, just, um, you know, prepared other foods. Um, yes. That um, you need to add formula to the water, not water to the formula, the things like that. Um, and also, I think it's really important to teach parents and tell parents about how to bottle feed respectfully as in not forcing their baby to finish a bottle, whether there's formula in it or breast milk, you know, watching for a baby's cues and pacing the feedings appropriately so you don't overfeed. Well, I loved the word you just used. You said to bottle feed respectfully. I've never heard that word, I, I to- or at least not in this context. I totally agree with you because I, I really do think that the clean plate syndrome, what I call the clean plate syndrome, really starts when we force bottle-fed kids to finish the bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I was really... I was kind of chuckling when you talked about the right and the wrong ways to prepare formula. Uh, I teach the segments uh, of the uh, the baby-friendly hospital. There are 15 different sessions. And session number nine, I spent the better part of the morning trying to get uh, a little bit better on my uh, slides and visuals for that because I think it's so important to help professionals to understand it so they can help parents to understand it because for all the reasons that you just said, you know, you'd think it would be like real straightforward, but it isn't always. And uh, so, yeah, I I would agree. Those are some things that sometimes really don't get mentioned. On your blog, you point out six things to not say to a breastfeeding mother. And uh, I, I liked all of them. I'll keep the audience guessing for a few minutes about what all of them were, but I really liked number two. Um, it is, I've tried everything, and th- this would be basically a formula feeding mother talking to a breastfeeding mother. I tried everything, and ultimately I couldn't breastfeed, and my kids turned out just fine. Uh, that one kind of drives me kind of crazy. Uh, mothers who say this to new mothers don't necessarily have a bad intention, but it sure really comes across really bad. Why do you think people say stuff like this? It's partly to make themselves feel better, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, because like it or not, women carry can carry a lot of guilt about whether or not they breastfeed successfully. And I think that it's 
easier to not impose your what your happened in your story on other people if you're comfortable with how your story ended up. So um, part of it is just them still feeling that they They, did something wrong. They've got their own baggage is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, I I would agree. And so let me say this. Some of these people really are well-intentioned. They mean to help. I think all all of them are well-intentioned. They just don't think about what, what their words really mean. Yeah. So what do you think they could say instead? Oh, almost all of it needs to be, you know, just affirming that it sounds like, you know, if someone's coming to you saying breastfeeding is really hard, just reaffirming that it sounds like you really want to breastfeed and Mm -hmm. it's hard for you. How can I make it better for you? I mean, sometimes it is sharing your story. Sometimes it's, you know, finding the number of the local Lashay League and saying, here, call this number and you can get help. Sometimes it's just like, hey, I heard this website has good information. Um, and I heard uh, this radio show has good information. <laughs> uh, Tipper, also, I think that uh, what you're saying here really is to acknowledge the mother's feelings and to offer her maybe some help as opposed to just giving your own war story. Exactly. Yeah. I I think, too, sometimes I find it useful when people tell me just enough about their experience uh, so that I feel a connection with them, but I don't necessarily want to hear their whole war story. Uh, I know, for instance, that a man that I know just lost his mother a few days ago. And to make the connection, I said something to the effect of, oh, you know, I know it was really hard for me when my mother died, blah, 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 blah. But I didn't go into my whole story. And I think that that is important in the sense of helping people to know that you do feel their pain. You have been there, but a half of a sentence is not a war story. When it starts turning into a war story, I think it kind of gets kind of crummy. All right, so for those of you who are listening, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. I'm here today with my guest, Tipper Gallagher, otherwise known as the Boob Geek. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. 
Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with my guest, Tipper Gallagher, the boob geek. And I've been asking Tipper some of the hard questions about the uh exchanges that happen sometimes that are, yeah, you know, not quite so easy and, and maybe how to make those things better. In this next segment, I'd like to look at some things where I see that in her blog, Tipper has kind of gone against the grain of what I hear so many lactation experts saying. Uh, One of the first things that Tipper points out is that she doesn't like to talk about the, quote, benefits of breastfeeding. Tipper, why don't you like to talk about the benefits of breastfeeding? Mostly because I don't think... Parents choose breastfeeding because they think it will be beneficial. I don't think it's a great selling point. I think um, they choose it because we are mammals and we give birth to lives young and we make uh, milk to feed them. So it's just kind of a natural extension of giving birth. And um, I think that the, the benefits are fun, you know, because of science and everything. I love science and I love seeing what breastfeeding and breast milk can do, but I don't think that the everyday average parent is going to be um, caring about what a study says about breastfeeding when they're choosing it for themselves. Let me summarize what I hear you saying. You are saying, I, Tipper Gallagher, find it fascinating, and I, Marie Biancuso, definitely find it fascinating, but you're saying that the selling point, that it's a weak selling point for mothers to choose breastfeeding. Right. Yeah. I, I, and by the way, I will tell you that in my own life, over more than 30 years of doing this, I, I think it's, if I talk to a woman about the benefits of breastfeeding and she's already kind of sold on breastfeeding anyway, then, you know, it's not a hard sell. But I think it's a weak sell when you're really trying to get past all of the cultural barriers and all of the myths and all of the everything else, then just telling her it's really good for her kid or even telling her it's good for her, uh, you know, that kind of usually, I think, just kind of falls on deaf ears. And certainly there have been some studies that show that women who choose formula feeding can actually articulate the 
benefits of breastfeeding, but they choose to formula feed anyway. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I guess I always like is when the, the literature lines up with my own clinical experience and clearly with your clinical experience. We're just saying, yeah, that that's cool, but it's it's not necessarily going to keep everybody. Uh, it's it's not it's not a big motivator. Let's yeah. talk about galactic. Go ahead. And also, I I tend to look at the way I support breastfeeding is I support uh, family to breastfeed. I don't try to convince families who aren't breastfeeding to breastfeed. It's kind of, um, you know, I'd, there's so many people who just need the help. I don't need yes. to waste the time or energy trying to convince <laughs> other people to do it too. Well, one of the things I talk about is... Uh, uh, the politicians, where do the politicians go to do most of their campaigning? They go to the swing states. They they don't go to the places, the Democrats don't go to the place that is firmly entrenched in Republican territory. It's the same kind mm-hmm. of an idea. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think our time is better spent with those people that are either on the fence or they really need the support. Talk to us about galactagogues. Now, before we get into this too deep, let me just tell our listener that a galactagogue is a substance that is thought to increase milk supply in a lactating woman. And I want to repeat that definition. It is a substance that is thought to increase milk supply in a lactating woman. But it seems to me that everybody these days, friends, lactation consultants, even some doctors, are urging mothers to uh, use a galactagogue. Why do you think everyone has jumped onto this galactagogue bandwagon? I I think it's partly because we like to feel that we're doing something when we have a problem or not. We like to be proactive. We like to um, kind of DIY our lives. And um, there's also kind of a more is more kind of philosophy. Like the more we do, the more... Things are going to be better, um, the more yeah. improvement we will see. So there's kind of um, this hope to have as much milk as possible because if you have a ton of milk, then you can't possibly have any problems with breastfeeding. <laughs> when I hear you say it, it does sound kind of funny, but you're, you're right. I mean, that is that mentality of more is more. And certainly we've seen women, whether they're taking galactagogues or not, that have plenty of milk, but they still have issues. So I, I think you really nailed that one. So, Tipper, do you think galactagogues really actually work to make more milk? I think they can. Um, it, if they're being used to fix the problem that is the actual problem. Like, for example, if the actual problem is that you have a low prolactin level and you take a galactagog like domperidone that raises your prolactin level, that might fix the problem. Um if you're throwing galactagogues at an, a non-specific problem or throwing a galactagogue at a problem that is not a problem that a galactagogue can fix, it's probably not going to work. Although there is the possibility that it's a placebo effect. Yes. And some people will argue that it doesn't matter if it's a placebo effect. If it works and the, you know, the mother's happy, it's all good. Well, you know, that leads me right to my next question, which is, I really do believe in placebo effects, whether we're talking about uh, galactagogues or anything else. But um, 
so, so there's a part of you that says, well, shucks, if the woman thinks it works, then, and if it does work, then, you know, all is good. But uh, certainly there are some negative sides, some side effects or whatever you want to call it for, uh, for galactagogues. Can you give us a brief list of the reasons why you think galactagogues, uh, a brief list of those negative things that happen when you take a galactagogue? Well, I think primarily is that you don't really fix the problem. If you don't really fix the problem, like, for example, um, if you have low milk supply because your baby isn't transferring milk well, right. that milk transfer isn't going to improve if you have more milk. You could already have plenty of milk. <laughs> um, and that said, if you have a, a lot of milk and you take a galactagog and it works on you, you might have too much milk and it, that can lead to other problems. Um, there are also actual side effects that can come with using galactagogs. And do you want to address those side effects a little bit? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I could talk about fenugreek in particular because sure. this is something that's suggested um, widely in, in a yes. lot of herbal preparations that are galactagog-type um, things. Um, uh, fenugreek can mess with your blood sugar levels. So especially if you're a diabetic, it can screw with um, insulin and all that. Um, it's contraindicated during pregnancy because it can actually cause miscarriage. Um, you shouldn't take it if you have a peanut or a chickpea allergy. Um, right. And it can also inter- interfere with the absorption of other nutrients and medications that you may be taking. So at the very least, you'd have to take it at different times and your reg- regular medications. Um, and... It also pops, uh, It also can give mothers and their babies gastrointestinal distress, like extra gas, diarrhea, upset stomach, that sort of thing. So um, they're not just harmless herb, herbs. You know, they're not just um, things that you can take and not be concerned about the side effects. Anything that's an intervention has a potential side effect. I, I totally agree. Uh, for instance, I know often I will teach a whole room full of lactation consultants, sometimes people who have been a lactation consultant for 10 years and they're coming to my review course. And I say, okay, so what would be one of the things that you'd talk to a woman about before you suggest a fenugreek? And it's not at all unusual for me to have a whole room full of people who don't know that peanut allergies are possibly associated, meaning there can be a cross-reaction. Now, Mm -hmm. certainly there are people that it doesn't affect that way, but there are people that it does affect that way. And to me, it's unethical to have that discussion of, oh, Tipper, go take take fenugreek without saying, now, Tipper, fenugreek might be something you might want to do, but let me talk to you about this first. Do you have a peanut allergy? Do you have an allergy to soy or, or any of those chicken? peas you mentioned, any of those things that are in the pea family. So I think it's really important that we, you know, kind of back up and realize that these things, I'm a real believer that herbal preparations do have their place. Herbal preparations have been used since the dawn of civilization. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, But certainly you mentioned not addressing the real problem. And another thing that I run into Tell me if you disagree. But a lot of times I see that women are not breastfeeding frequently enough. Oh, and absolutely. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It makes I, me yeah. nuts. 
Well, yeah. you know, here's the thing is that I I don't want to entirely diss the idea of the Greek, but I've now got kind of my, my favorite phrase is this. There is nothing in the world that is going to take the place of frequent breastfeeding. Uh-huh. Do you see sometimes that people want to just take the fenugreek but not do the frequent breastfeeding? Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember too, and when it comes to pumping as well, people oh, want, right, want to right. boost their pumping output. And yep. without realizing that in addition to taking these galactagogs, you have to pump more. So it's kind yeah. of like it's not necessarily the, the galactagogs that are doing it. It would be the more frequent pumping that would be increasing your output. Yeah, you just can't get away without that frequency. That's just, there's no galactagog in the world that's going to replace the frequency. It just doesn't work that way, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I guess I guess that we need to understand that there is a time and a place for those things. Uh, totally agree, but, uh, yeah, it's... It's a little bit more complicated than that. Now, when we come back, I want to talk to you about getting a freezer stash full of milk. And uh, I know that a lot of people feel that they need to to do that. And we'll see what else we can cover before we uh, finish up today. These things always go way too fast. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here today with Tipper Gallagher, the boob geek. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this short break. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Are you getting ready for your IBLCE exam? Do you want a time-saving review without having to travel? Marie Biancuso's new guided study review is the perfect resource for you. If you're wanting to listen on the go, get our premier package, which includes over 60 12-minute audio casts, a 400-page companion guide, and much more. Best of all, you'll get a live Q&A session with Marie via webinar. You'll walk into the exam confident you'll pass. Call today at 703-787-9894 or visit us at www.breastfeedingoutlook.com. That's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up 
up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm here with Tipper Gallagher, the boob geek. Tipper, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about these gals that think that they need a freezer stash full of milk. And everybody thinks this is like the be-all and end-all, or at least where I live, this is the be-all and end-all for a mother who needs to go back to work. And some of them will say, oh, I've got to have 100 ounces of milk in the freezer before I can go to go back to work. Talk to us a little bit about the freezer stash. What's your take on this? Well, I think the freezer stash represents time that is probably better spent breastfeeding and better spent, you know, bonding with your baby before you go back to work. Um, You know, 100 ounces is frequently what people think they need to have. And that represents a lot of time. I mean, divide 100 by three, (laughs) Uh maybe that's your pumping out, but multiply that by however long it took you to get that milk. That's a lot of time. Um, in reality, you only need enough for the first day you're back at work, which is probably going to be about, say, 12 ounces, 12 to 15 ounces. That's it. Because the first day you're at work, you will pump for the next day and so on. And part of the danger of a freezer stash is that any supplementing you do, any dipping into that freezer stash you do to make up for milk you don't have that you didn't pump, it could potentially, um, you know, you know, won't be able to make that up with pumping. You can make your supply go down just if you're using that freezer stash. Tipper, repeat that. That was a profound statement. Which one? <laughs> the one, the one the part about you supplementing. Well, you can just... make your supply go down just Absolutely. by using your freezer stash. People don't get that. Right. It's, you know, any supplemental bottle, no matter what is in there, anything that a baby is not getting from your breast that you can't make up by taking out of your breast could affect your supply. Okay, so what do you tell these people who at day two or day three, uh, first of all, everybody gets pumps nowadays, you know, and Mm -hmm. so they've got the pump. They think they need to be using the pump, and at two or three days, they're wanting to pump because they got to go back to work. What do you tell these people? Well, I tend to talk about when you might want to introduce a bottle. Um, Usually it's, I recommend like um, week three to six or so where the baby still has that. Yep. Readily, their sucking reflex and breastfeeding is probably established. And you don't need to pump until you're ready to give that supplemental bottle. But see, people are so afraid they're going to run out of milk. Mm -hmm. 
So what do you say to those people? Because that's, that's where I always find myself kind of falling over myself, trying to convince people, no, you won't run out of milk. What, do you have a magic phrase that helps? Oh, I wish I did, but I don't. <laughs> I uh, don't either. Of, you just have to talk, talk to moms about, um, you know, the time it takes to pump and how breastfeeding is more effective than pumping. So if you're worried about your milk supply, the best thing to do is breastfeed your baby frequently. I, I, totally agree. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally agree. The other thing is that I'm not sure that we're ever really successful at helping people to realize that the amount of milk they are going to get with the pump is not as much as they're going to get with the baby. And I often say the baby is the best pump in the whole world. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not I that. talk a lot about how pumps aren't cute like our babies are. We don't have a hormonal connection to our pump. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, I t- totally agree with that. Um, what about, um, you talk a little bit about Harvey Karp, and I'm saying Harvey Karp, K-A-R-P, for those people who may not be familiar with Dr. Karp, he is a pediatrician, and he talks about the five S's. Um, you don't, I, I liked what you said. You said, we have to rethink the five S's. I agree. I, I don't think we need to throw them out, and I don't think we necessarily need to uh, think that they're, they're perfect. But I think that rethinking is a good idea. Tell me what you have rethought about Harvey Karp and the five S's. Uh, primarily, I would love to see us swaddle less, especially with tiny little newborn babies, um, because the best place for a newborn to be is on uh, his mother's chest. And so a mother can readily respond to feeding cues and learn the feeding cues. When a baby's all swaddled up, they can't get to their hands to say, hey, I'm hungry. And some babies will sleep through their feeding cues just because um, they're so comfortable in that swaddle. So I think swaddling is primarily one of those things that would work better for older babies where you under, when you've established breastfeeding and you understand what cues your baby are giving you, is giving you to feed so you don't miss them. I'm totally there with you. Um, tell me a little bit about the pacifiers because he always talks about pacifiers and yet there are people who say to a mother, oh, that baby is using you for a pacifier. How do you respond to that? Well, a pacifier is a substitute for a mom, not the other way around. Uh, We came before pacifiers did, and (laughs) babies are meant to suck on your breath like a pacifier, or pacifiers wouldn't have been created. (laughs) I, I like that idea. So in other words, you see it as what came first here, and clearly the mother did come first. Mm hmm uh-huh. And what do you tell mothers when they say, what kind of a nipple or what kind of a pacifier is uh, the best for a breastfed baby? I get that question a lot. Well, I think the little the soothing ones that you tend to get in the hospital are actually the best ones. But really, my, my take on it is that if you never introduce a pacifier to a baby, a baby never knows they exist. And they exist just perfectly well without one most of the time. I would totally agree on that one for sure. Uh, This has been really, really a fun interview, Tipper. You are uh, 
just totally on target with so many of these really important points. You have a lot of common sense and you've given a lot of what I think would be sage advice here. Tell mothers, where can they find your blog? Um, You can find it at um, www.theboobgeek.com. I'm also on Facebook at The Boob Geek and Twitter at at The Boob Geek. So by all means, visit Tipper. She's going to have, uh, she's got way more on all of the topics that we just talked about today. And I just bet you she's got a few more topics up her sleeve that will be coming in the future as well. Honestly, that's all the time that we have today. I'd like to thank my guest, Tipper Gallagher from theboobgeek.com. And I would like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. And certainly, I would like to invite you to come back next week. Visit my website at borntobebreastfed.com. I also have my blog there. Make sure you take a look at that. And if you're interested in professional continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. Again, that website is for parents, borntobebreastfed.com, and for professionals and for professional education, breastfeedingoutlook.com. I'm Marie Biancuso, and I promise I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.